Hey Auntie is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge that this is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and Indigenous mob all over the world. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hi, and welcome to Hey Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall, and it's my absolute pleasure to have you join me. Hey sis, come on in, take a seat, and make yourself comfy. With Hey Auntie, we're going to remix the proud tradition of the Black Auntie, and we're going to use it to demonstrate that there's millions of ways to be a magical Black woman. Sounds good? Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Auntie! So, hey auntie, should I still be code switching? Rudy Bremer is a broadcaster, presenter and proud Aboriginal woman. She shared her experiences of having to code switch kind of in both directions. Now that's something that I never thought of and it was super enlightening for me. Check it out. I took my dog to the dog beach at lunchtime. And um, when I arrived, he went running up and this massive Rhodesian Ridgeback came running along. And then I saw, like, to my delight and surprise, it was a black woman who had him. And she just made a beeline for me with, like, a massive smile on her face. And we were both, she just came up and she was like, oh, my God, I have never seen another black woman at the dog beach. And I was, like, at any dog park ever, anywhere, ever in my life. And we were both just like, oh, my God, blah, 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 blah. immediate friends. <laughs> Do you know what's, what's kind of funny for me, though, is that, like, because um, I pass for white, I always want to be that person who goes up and, oh, like, tries to so make funny. eye contact and make friends. And I probably come off as one of those overly enthusiastic white ladies. Those white ladies who are, like, black people enthusiasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, I'm like... Oh right, because I because I look I I look Aboriginal to people who know Aboriginal people and know what we yeah. look like. But if you're not really used to, but like it's a very specific type of Aboriginal person from New South Wales, kind of more than anything, right? And yeah, if if you're like from outside of that community, yeah, I just am an over enthusiastic white lady oh, who just goodness. trying to make eye contact and smile at you. Really, that is so funny because I don't even think of that. To be honest with you, when you're like growing up and you're like, you know, now we're all woke and we all understand and embrace what's good and bad about being ourselves. But when I was younger, I was definitely like, I wish I was one of those light-skinned girls. They've got good hair. They've got it easy. (laughs) They don't have to have their hair pulled by their mom. You know, everyone thinks that the grass is greener so much but also even just um the idea of understanding whether whether you flag your race sort of um as far as how you look and how you sound and all that kind of stuff I didn't realize that I didn't look black I didn't realize that I didn't look aboriginal to most people until I was like 12 
and I was in high school and in year seven. So like, because I, I grew up in a small town, everyone knew my parents, my mom is very like, she's got dark skin. Um, and I look like my mom and I've grown up in a family that's always like, oh, you're Kerry's daughter all over. Like you just, you're like, it's like saying Kerry all over again. And you just, you kind of internalize that message that I look like my mother. My mother has dark skin. I'm a little bit darker than the rest of my friends. And like, and then I went to high school and little bit of culture shock to be in a place where people don't know your family. So there was an assumption of whiteness because like the kind of, the kind of area that I grew up in. And yeah, it like, it just was this weird thing. And I have told other people where they've just been like, oh, bless. (laughs) Did you really not know? (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Which is, and it's a fair question, but at the same time, you kind of, as a kid, don't really, until somebody makes you aware of race, you're not necessarily aware of it. Not at all. You're just like, these are my peeps. That's a really interesting experience. How, how do you remember, like, how you navigated that because I guess you would have had to make some choices about okay I'm making all these friends how like did you just say oh you know this is where I'm from these are my peeps yeah um I mean like there were there were definitely kids from my primary school in my high school so there's still kind of a small core group of people who knew who I was um but I, I do remember really distinctly, um, I, have, I have parents that have spent my entire life making sure that, like, my brother and I are really kind of aware of, of what it means to be Aboriginal and what it will mean to other people as well. Um, so I, I kind of, I had some of those tools to have conversations with people, but I, I think... For me, the really shocking parts or the really shocking conversations were, um, I remember talking to one girl and I, I'd been friends with her for about two years at this point. And I had definitely told her that I was Aboriginal and it had come up like kind of a few times. And then she met my mum at parent-teacher night and the next day she goes, oh, so you're actually Aboriginal. And oh, I went, yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. She goes, I was like, what, what did you think I meant when I said, when I was saying it all these years? And she goes, I thought it was a joke. And I went, but wow. what's the punchline? What's the joke? Wow. And I mean, obviously to her, the joke is she thought I was white and I'm just saying it. Pretending to but be. But like, Aboriginal. yeah, and, and that it's funny it's to bad. pretend. <laughs> but I think, I think to her, she just couldn't, she couldn't get past the skin tone thing. Right. Like, it, it became a really big issue for her. Like, but if you are, why aren't you dark skinned? But if you like, and if you're not dark skinned, why would you say that you are Aboriginal? Like, what's the point? Right. Like, well, the point is that it's my culture and it's my heritage and it is absolutely my family. And I, I know that other people do have this kind of, I know that other fair skinned people have this kind of tension of like, well, one side of my family is white and one side is black and whatever. But like my dad, who is Dutch, um, he like we don't know his, we don't spend much time with his family, right? Because like 
So to me, it's never been this kind of internal conflict, whatever. It's like my, when I think of my family and when I talk about my family, what I mean is my mum's side. I am so interested really in your perspective um, on the whole code switching thing because yeah, wow. I, I have a lot of conversations with friends these days now that these this terminology is in common usage. And so maybe I'll say something and my white friends will be like, yeah, I can completely identify with you because, you know, my personality is I'm, I've got like a really loud sense of humor, but when I'm at work, I have to like turn off my loud sense of humor. And so I completely understand code switching. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not quite the same. That's not, not really what it is. No, because I'm talking about like the basic elements that make me a human that I have to like chip away. Like the way that my hair grows out of my head has to be changed. Like I have to change the way that God or whoever you worship made me in order to just have a job. Mm-hmm that's kind of code switching for me not just having a professional persona (laughs) do you have any like when you think of your definition of code switching and how you think of it do you have any stories from your experience which kind of are like a perfect example of what code switching is to you yeah so um it's going to be a little bit of a long roundabout story, but I think that's wow. part of my code switching. So, you know, roll with me here. Um, <laughs> so I, I have this, I, because I work in radio, I've been sort of thinking about the idea of code switching and what it means to sound Aboriginal. Um, because often people are encountering me without seeing me. So I can flag my race in a whole different way and in fact to a certain degree have to because um so literally yesterday I was on the phone and a lot of the time you know I'm I'm working for a national broadcaster so a lot of the time I am actually doing voice work to kind of fit in and to sound like my colleagues uh and in fact, have done voice training where I've been retaught how to say my L's and my T's because those are my problem areas. And the oh, fact that you get told scary. like problem areas is really fascinating. Well, you're like, this is um, my country, my friend. Yeah. My T's make me sound like I don't have a university degree, which I very definitely do. Is and that it's just the such a that they use. That you- little bit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's the terminology a trainer used with me. Um, you but like really I, I are a very driven woman because you must have really taken a deep breath and called your ancestors close to keep your <laughs> mouth shut when somebody said that to you. Well, sometimes it's this thing of of having to kind of decide whether whether I'm going to challenge other people's idea of what it means to sound educated, because, you know, like I said, I actually am. I, I've got a, um, I've got a university degree in, I can already hear the tease now that I've said it. Um, I've got a university degree in communication and my day job is as a radio broadcaster. So You've got credentials. Like I, I've got the credentials 
And then I sort of start, I've been thinking for a little while about how much I care about sort of fitting in or pushing back. Um, So all of that is kind of a daily, like in my head type thing. Yeah. And then I make phone calls to, to people that I want to interview. And some of these people are community people. They live out in regional areas and it, there's very much in Australia, there is a like country accent. Right. And I got off the phone and one of my friends and co-workers said to me, he's like, oh, I didn't know you knew how to speak Aboriginal. And I was like, Fuck You off. stop it right now. <laughs> I mean, he was joking. But I was... <laughs> But it was that I had dropped every aspect, how I would speak sort of typically at work. I dropped all of that because I was trying to convince this guy Mm. to come on to like to organize and set a time to be interviewed by me. And I tone matched because I figured it would make him more comfortable. And it's how I would, he sounded like a lot of my family and it's how I would speak if I was speaking to him. So I tone matched. And the ability to do that is like a wonderful tool for you to have because it means that that person who, you know, he doesn't know you from a bar of soap. He's, you're on the phone, um, you know, interacting with a big national broadcaster means, you know, it's a certain degree of vulnerability for an everyday person. And so, um, feeling like they're somebody who he can identify with would certainly make him feel more comfortable, I imagine. Exactly. I wanted him to know that he's going to be speaking to an Aboriginal journalist. So I spoke to him like I would kind of any other black fella. And yeah, it just was that it's, that it's something that happens and I'm not always conscious of it. Sometimes I've listened back to interviews and went, Oh, I did it to her. And it's, right. it's typically older people that I do it um, unconsciously. Do you think it's a sign, like almost like a sign of respect? I think so, because like it just, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable being, oh, I'm like exposing all of my anxieties to you right now um welcome to my therapy session Chantel Um, look if I'm very honest (laughs) with you I this podcast is masquerading as questions I needed to ask when I was younger when I think even the most cursory listen will tell you that I'm desperately seeking these answers today so we're I'm I'm meeting you right here sis (laughs) I feel uncomfortable speaking white around my family like I, I find it, I feel like it's a rude thing to do. It's not even about being comfortable and relaxing into the way that we speak at home. Like with some of my cousins, it quite literally, I just think that it would be rude to speak white at them. And yeah, and in the same way, like they're, you know, parents and so my aunts and uncles and my nan when she was alive, there's no way that I would talk white to my nan. It yeah. just... And why... I, I completely, I, I feel what you're saying and I get it. What have you reflected as the reason for that? I, well, this is where I think that it's like a little bit of my own 
sort of issues in the fact that I am significantly fairer than my cousins and my aunts and uncles and sort of everybody. And I don't want them to think of, I don't want them to think that I think that I'm better. I hear you. Yeah. I think, I, I feel like that's a big part of how it, how it continued. It's certainly not how it started. It just like when you do it as a kid, it's because that's how you talk. Mm. But you train yourself out of talking that way because, you know, colonialism and stuff. Um, And like privileging sort of whiteness and privileging education. But you, yeah, so like you train yourself out of it. And I I grew up in a very white area and, and I learned to speak white because kind of what you're expected to do but I would drop back drop back into it around yeah around mob and And I think that as you got older you kind of realized it was more of a conscious choice I think at a certain point it probably did become a conscious choice even if I have a holiday from work and I I spend you know a couple of weeks around around my family and I come back into work and I realize that I speak a, a really differently and it takes a little bit of time to retrain myself to talk like talk like work Rudy broadcaster Rudy broadcaster Rudy has, <laughs> um, uh, she absolutely knows how to say university and those T's are so crisp you would not Sorry. even believe you could you could uh, cut your finger on one of them they're so sharp you know, when I hear that you are being instructed and speaking in a particular way in order to be a better broadcaster, perhaps, I think of my favourite broadcasters and they all have accents. The woman who uh, hosts Desert Island Discs in the UK, she's got a beautiful Scottish accent. It's almost a bit old-fashioned. Yeah, it's... And when you when you kind of... When you look back at what it meant to what sort of voices we would put front and center and and we would listen to and take seriously it like yeah it just it's it's older male voices it's low registers. I worry that all of that stuff going on is meaning that we're not doing anything to change the definition of professional to change people's expectations and as you say to challenge I'm certainly not changing up any systems when I make I I talk a lot sort of online and and at work about um about brushing my hair or not brushing my hair because Ah. they're like there's absolutely a big thing about um about aboriginal people but women specifically it ties into the stolen generation and kids that were considered to be like not looked after because and it was things like their hair being unbrushed these things that your parents will say that your grandparents will have said like that are really tied into looking and presenting neatly to prove that you are looked after to try and, and not protect you. you. Yeah, there are jokes that my friends and I have. And it's things that my mother has said to me as well. It's stuff like, you know, go brush your hair. You look like no one owns you. 
Oh my like, goodness, Rudy, that's amazing. Wow. And so you just you kind of internalize this idea that it's really, really important to brush your hair. It's really, really important to wear shoes. It's really, really important. But do you know wear- what? You've hit on something so, so important in so many ways because one thing that is really coming across to me is that it's another difference between code switching and having a professional persona or not being a mess out in public, you know, is that our stuff is not just, oh, you really should. It's actually, there is, there is like historical context and trauma behind so much of it. Yeah. And so I, I will make these jokes with people about, you know, I work in radio, so I don't have to brush my hair every day. Cause wow. I, I, have had low out arguments with my mom about the way that I do my hair or don't. Because it's pushing a button in her that is not about, it's not just about aesthetics. It's about safety. It is. And it's, it's flagging. Like it's like she didn't do a good job as a mother. It's like she didn't, like she didn't, look after me properly because the one thing that our that gets our parents most irate is when it looks like they failed us if we look unkept my family come from you know uh it was a country that was colonized by the british and so your ability to to um interact with whiteness in a way that they would respect you completely dictated your life outcomes and my mom's family were kind of in the white companies and stuff Uh, but they were they were always aware that that was so tenuous it could always be taken away at any moment so there is this like really hectic um policing of appearance in my family yeah one of my friend's mom's her um she's Aboriginal as well. And her mum's thing is, um, you look like you've been dragged through the bush. And it's like, <laughs> it's that, it's this idea of like someone as you look like someone has grabbed your, grabbed you by the hair yeah. and like, like it just, wow. I can't blame them for having these anxieties, but it, it's still this thing that, you know, I guess because because I've, I've grown up with the parents that I have and my mum was a teacher and like I just, I never felt like I was ever at risk. So to me, like it, it's just something that gets said. There's no power behind it. Yeah. Like I, I was never concerned that I was actually going to be taken away um, because, you know, because I didn't know how to put my hair in a ponytail properly. It's so horrific to think that those arbitrary things could be used as justification for such a terrible thing but that's the grain of truth and that's why it's so so much more than just oh yeah I have to brush my hair before I go to work too I'm like yeah but the reason why because we have been taught to fear the consequences if we don't and it yeah which is why like I think for me, I kind of am like a little part, a little voice in kind of the back of my head is like, when you don't brush your hair, you're challenging the system. And then I'm like, it also <laughs> comes down because people, people look at you and they think that you're a messy white woman. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
oh my goodness that's hilarious because you're Sorry, like you know. you're like all like fist in the air I'm like black mm. resistance but people yeah, and at the I just look like an unkempt like, white girl yeah wow people at the supermarket are like she looks like she's had a big night yeah oh look at this bogan <laughs> thanks again to my amazing guest and thank you for listening so you've heard what the aunties have to say what do you think heyauntiepod at gmail.com facebook or instagram that's auntie a-u-n-t-y don't forget to like and subscribe and join us in a week for the next show